0: Welcome to the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast that's raising the bar on craft cocktails. I am your host, Louise Solace. and with me, as always, is my very talented friend, a tough cookie if ever there were, the mixtress DC Gina. Good morning, Louise. Hey, let's address the elephant in the room before we go any further. Yes, I have a slight speech impediment, a little bane, a little in the line action going on, and I'm just. I'm not drunk, Gina. I am not drunk. It's not slurring. <laughs> just adjusting.
1: Um, Invisalign, are you listening to that? Because we'd like some sponsors. Because <laughs> <laughs> Louise is going to have the prettiest smile I've ever seen.
0: Well, eventually. Let's hope. All right. So, speaking of tough cookies, that's what I have to be. Did you know that the simple seahorse can be considered the iron man or woman of the sea? No. Ask me why, Gina. Why? 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 Tell me. I mean, I don't know that. Because the bones in the tail can be compressed by nearly 60% of its original width. Really? Yeah. So, I mean, that seems that it would be really important when you find yourself in the beak of a sea turtle.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Or like trying to hide, like hang on for dear life on a blade of grass, not to be swift away in a current.
0: Yeah. Yeah. See? Lots of use. Lots of use. Yeah. Um So, basically... Can you eat seahorses? I don't know. Maybe our guest can tell us that. Oh, but, yeah. you know, I just want to say one thing about seahorses. They take Tony Stark's uh, claim to fame away from him because they are the original OGs of armor, in my opinion. <laughs> so that was good. let's just keep up with the tough cookie and um, make it all make sense. Um, today's designated drinker has embraced the concept wholeheartedly. So with no further ado, let's introduce fishmonger and owner of the District Fish Wife, Fiona Lewis.
2: Hi. morning guys Hi. thanks for having me yeah and what a beautiful morning it is it is
0: BC. it is sitting outside here at union market again finding ourselves sipping cocktails in the beautiful weather yeah we're doing a little bit different today little bit little yeah, bit we're starting out with the cocktails hey i mean what do you think of that, i like man? following your role on that
2: cheers
1: yes so we'll get into what we're drinking later but let's uh let's let's talk about cocktails
2: it and poke for breakfast i mean you know who doesn't hey. need that
1: what, exactly. Fiona, so if I was somebody that lived somewhere that didn't know what poke is, what what did you make for us?
2: Uh, so poke is from Hawaii, originally from Hawaii, and it just means to cut or slice. So hmm. it doesn't necessarily have to be from fish. You can do spam poke, you can do meat yep. poke, you can do whatever. It just it's to slice. But I think what uh, it's become most famous for is fish predominantly ahi tuna. Ahi tuna is either yellowfin or big-eye tuna. Big-eye is my favorite. And then, uh, yeah, and obviously salmon, octopus, all these other things have also become quite popular to be done as poke as well. Yeah. So help tie in my intro. What exactly is a fishwife? So the definition of fishwife is a sort of uh, archaic word that's not as commonly known here in America. And it has two definitions. Number one is woman who sells fish, mm-hmm. which I do. And <laughs> number two is a coarse and abusive woman, which, quite frankly, I can also pull that off on occasion. So it seems like <laughs> I get birds of a feather. Birds of a feather. <laughs> it seems like an appropriate name for our business because we do sell fish at the District Fishwife, and uh, you know, <clears throat> I can rein my coarse and abusive manner in, but it's there. It's there.
1: <laughs> you want to tell us? Tell tell the story of how how far back it goes for you, your whole fish life. Fish
2: fish wife uh, in a past life. I was no. No, no it's really it's <laughs> amazing. Well, fish wife. I mean, just generally though, like, fish wife it's there because back in the old day, wife, as in like in the eighteenth century, wife just literally meant woman. So fish wife was just the fish woman, and really? it was the yep it was the you know the partner of you know the fisherman. Yeah. would go out and catch the fish, and the fish wife would stand on the piers selling it wife is archaic for women really yeah so I'm led to believe but you know maybe the dictionary led me astray I could be wrong
0: well, you know, with that Texas accent, we have no idea where
2: that is. That strong Texas accent that I have. Yes.
0: So yeah. where are you? Do from? I hate
1: that? I, said, I hate that. Sorry. No, those are the
2: law.
1: No, white, like, like, like white, like you have to be attached to somebody in order to be identified as a woman.
0: Well, again, you're talking about 1800. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you no, weren't no, a real no, you weren't even a real you weren't even a whole person then. You just were property. You some property. Yeah, property. Damn. And actually, so in the uh, during a slave. <laughs> basically, I mean, um, there's really there is a part of that 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 story is really interesting though. Uh, when I was doing a little research for the show, um, the Dutch. So in about the early 1800s, same thing they their husbands were fishermen. They went off and they were off to war and they were gone. So what do you do with these businesses? They actually became incredibly successful during the time when women actually took the front role of businesses because all the men were gone. So, so it um, so they. Actually, they changed things. Like they named, they gave businesses names for the first time. They were wheeling and dealing, making um, because they were on exchange with like the English, and the English found these women just to be. And that's this is where that term became just from being a general term like woman. Actually, where um fishwife became that negative term is because of the the english didn't want to deal with women they thought they were too mouthy how dare they have business sense and to actually try to uh, basically cut deals i mean they were doing their business and they didn't like dealing yeah. with women that way took, so, uh,
2: took over yeah. from the men and ran it a lot better yeah mm. exactly can we sue england for all
1: the? <laughs> <laughs> i want to sue england well, like, you guys really just really pushed us back Gina, by the way we're... what
2: are we drinking today
1: Oh, you want to know about the drink? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, it's fin- funny, funny, funny drinking it. funny yeah. that we're talking about the English, um, the English. So we're drinking, actually, we made Pimm's Cups. Traditional breakfast Pimm's Cups. We all know that, um, Designated Drinker loves, our show loves New Orleans.
2: We do, um, we do. Is it made with Pimm's or is it made with Pimm's. summer cup from? No,
1: no, no, no. Right. It's traditional Pimm's. And it's, uh, two. So uh, this is my recipe. I do, um, one and a half ounces of Pimm's. I do a quarter ounce of lemon juice. Uh, I like mine over crushed ice, so I do crushed ice, and then I use a, a little bit of ginger beer instead of ginger ale. Yeah, and then fresh sliced cucumber, and I like to let it sit just a little bit because it like it starts to dilute just a bit and it becomes even more mm-hmm. um, delicious. And then I put a little sprig of um, mint. Now mint is not traditional uh, garnish, the cucumber is, but I put the mint in there just because um, it's beautiful and it's and it's and it's growing wildly everywhere right now in my garden and.
0: Just, you know, it's,
1: it's nice. It's lovely. I, I like how it fresh. opens it up. Yeah. And it goes with a fish. It goes with the time of day. It's easy to drink. <laughs> you know, one thing about Pimm's Cup that uh, most people don't realize is that you could throw in, you know, just to, to change a Pimm's Cup, and there's so many variations of Pimm's Cup, adding different fruits, changing it to lime juice. Pimm's is very versatile, and um, you could do Pimm's and ginger ale, Pimm's and bitter soda, Pimm's and... It's and
2: quite low in alcohol, so later yeah. in the evening, when you want, you can start throwing vodka in
0: <laughs> when when you really gotta get hit that that goal.
2: <laughs> so the tuna with the with the ginger,
1: this one the poke, is so good with this because like the two flavors are playing together. It's like a nice little pairing. Nice, unexpected.
2: Yeah, I, I think it goes really well. I I would absolutely agree with that. So that the ginger, the, the sort of semi heat from the ginger, nice. that not obviously heat heat, but that. Flavor of the ginger, the spice of the ginger, I think, really matches with that pim's cup. Nice. You could do something gingery with the ginger in the catch-off. Anyway. Nice. No. Good to my neighbors. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on.
0: I see something. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us how how did it all start for you?
2: How did you end up here at, as the fishwife? Oh yeah. Um. So I guess my, you know my interest and passion in fish started with my grandfathers and my father, so both of my grandfathers were avid fishermen and so any time I spent with them. My father, my grandfather on my father's side was, um, we were in Melbourne, so we were on a massive bay so we used to go out in the bay and do uh, ocean fishing and my mother's father was, uh, is up in uh, the central Victoria region. And as such, we went lake fishing for trout and wow. other fish all of the time. Um, my dad was very passionate about his fish, so even though he studied building and uh, you know, did construction and, and uh, worked in an office and all of that, eventually he gave all of that up to breed fish and wow. uh, yeah, opened, eventually opened a fish farm. Um, I mean we've been, we were breeding fish. What in, kind of fish? Uh, golden perch what is that Mm, white mild fish native to australia so you know ever since i was really young we were uh you know had a you know you could never fit cars in our garage even though (laughs) my parents had a garage that could technically fit six cars there was never a single car in that garage there was just fish tanks mainly and i had a dark room as well from when i was young but yeah so you know helped my dad dark things yeah, you for know, doing dark or things or like pottery. a dark arts. Yeah.
0: <laughs> 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 I mean, I
1: know what it that's. It's just funny because yeah. I feel like Fiona would do horrifying things in there.
2: In a dark room. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know, I did my first autopsy on a fish with my dad when I was like 12. You know, we used to try to work out like, why they died, what was going on. So yeah, I don't know. Um, and then I just went from there. So then I was in the hospi- so, can hospitality industry. First yeah. Autopsy of a fish. It's yeah. such an
0: odd term for for that, for those of us who are not fishmongers. Is that common when you say fish? Oh no, I coffee. mean I was, I was
2: twelve. This was just about you know my dad was trying to breed fish and and some of you know some of them died in a certain tank and so you know we cut the fish open to try and work out why.
1: Wow. It's like looking at their livers and stuff like that. Yeah,
2: and actually we worked out they were just accumulating a lot of fat around its heart. So.
1: Wow. So we changed
0: the
2: diet. We changed the diet. Did you yeah. put them on treadmills? <laughs> <laughs> work out the birds? Put them in a bigger tank. <laughs> swim fish swim. Make them swim against
1: current. How do you current. work that out? You probably do less. You probably do less um, fish in the tanks. So they have more room to swim.
2: No, no. It's no. it all about the feed. So really, yeah, yeah. What a
1: cool thing to do. Yeah,
2: it was, it was pretty cool when I was young. So here we are now, uh, America. Uh, my husband and I <laughs> met in <laughs> met in Afghanistan. Uh, so there wasn't much fish, obviously landlocked or... What thing, were you doing in Afghanistan? On Actually, I went out to help a friend of mine open a restaurant. I'd been living in Myanmar. It was right after Cyclone Nargis, so I'd left after Cyclone Nargis. My visa had expired, and I couldn't get back in. They weren't allowing foreigners back in, even though I'd lived there for four years. So it was tricky to get back in. Uh, so my best friend rang me up and went, Well, hey, can you come to Afghanistan and help me open this lounge this? and bar? Oh, I
0: always had me early. Oh, you said Bar.
2: No, no, no. Uh, 2001, I oh, guess. Oh, okay. So after? No. No, 2008. Sorry, I'm getting my okay. decades Definitely after, mixed then. up. Definitely Decades mixed up. So I've been in America for nine years, so maybe a year and a half before that. And then, um, yeah, so I had nothing else to do. So I went out there to help her with that. And then the first night I was there, I met my now husband, Ben. Oh, shut the front door. So I ended up, instead of going back, <laughs> <instead> of, <laughs> oh, not like those poor little Mormons wandering over there getting tricked into their lives, but still. <laughs> right, right, right. So, yeah. Anyway, so uh, instead of going back to Myanmar, I, um, yeah, I stayed in Afghanistan, took on a position contracting with USAID there, um, doing agricultural fairs and stuff, and, and then came here for six months, and that was nearly 10 years ago. Wow. It's awesome. Mm,
1: yeah. I love that about Fiona, right? Like, yeah. you're like, oh, I'm just gonna, I was in the Middle East opening a bar.
0: Whereas I was like, wait, where, when, when and where in <laughs> Afghanistan? Because that gets tricky. But, wow. And then, you know, after all the things that were happening, your friend just called you up and said, come to Afghanistan and open a bar and restaurant. You're like, okay.
2: Oh, I've never been.
0: Again, tough cookie. But what were
2: you doing in Australia prior to that? Were you cooking? Hospitality. You, hospitality? Just started in the kitchen and then moved front of house when I realized that I could earn twice as much money for half the hours. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry
1: good math good math but no way that you didn't put your input in because it's funny you're back exactly where you began.
2: well yes but that's you know doing it as an owner is very different than uh, than doing it there you know we have very strict rules in Australia and if you want to be called chef not that you can't be a cook but if you want to be called chef it's a four year government mandated apprenticeship and program Really? Yeah, and you don't get paid well and you work really long hours. Well, it might have changed since then. I'm talking about 25 years ago, more. Yeah. You know, I'm 48, so this was when I was like 20. So, a long time ago. Uh, It could have changed. It didn't change in the years that I was living there, but I haven't lived in Australia in like over 15 years. So, do you go back often? Not from here. It's so fucking far away. (laughs) Uh, It takes you like 30 hours to get there. And plus, with the jet lag and everything, you've got to stay at least a couple of weeks to make it worthwhile. So, we used to, I used to go more before we opened the business. Oh,
0: I'm sure. Yeah. Funny little thing. Can't how stop that the, okay.
2: you. I haven't happened to Spider on a podcast ever. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, eating it. I ate a cucumber. I'm like, oh, stop eating.
1: Yeah, breakfast. Anyway, hold on. I actually said. So, you talk about this whole, um, you know, the chef thing. I want to, like, so, Fiona, for people that don't know Fiona, obviously, you don't share on the show, so we're teaching you about it, right? Fiona is an amazing amazing she'll call herself a cook fine chef cook whatever like it's stunning to see her do things because like she's got such a huge influence in asian food thai food um that chinese like indian uh culture the met like that mesh and it's so influential in her food even though she does like the poke and stuff like that her spice base is so um rooted in that And and by rooted i mean like you know, using the turmeric and the gingers and the stuff like that's It's kind of amazing to see. And, you know, what I find the most uh, fascinating about um, Fiona is the passion. Yeah. Because, you know, I got to be honest with you. You walk over there, it, that like, you go to a seafood counter somewhere and you're like, oh, whatever, I'm going to buy this fish or this. You have it in your head. But when you go see your display, you can tell that whoever is doing it really loves it because it's displayed the same way that you would display flowers. It's, It's arranged so that it's beautiful and colorful and ornate. And, like, there might be an octopus in the mouth of a tuna or something crazy one day, all raw, and then she's telling you how to do it and cook it. So the passion really comes through.
2: Yeah.
1: And I feel like, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but passion drives your business.
0: Please
2: do. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, and thank you for saying such lovely things around me, sweetheart. <laughs> oh, there, there, there is a heart under there. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, uh, yeah, of course it's passion, you know, like if you don't, I mean, you know, I'm, and I'm very lucky to be able to be doing something that I am so passionate about. I mean, it's something I've grown up with through my family all the time. When I was in Australia working in restaurants, you know, um, not long after I started, I was in seafood restaurants, fine dining, seafood restaurants, and that's what I specialized in. So, You know, moving to this is a shift, but, uh, you know, I've uh, I've been able to, you know, learn so much about this North American seafood, which we try to specialise in regional, but we also are doing our best to, you know, educate Americans on how aquaculture and mariculture, when it's done well, it's not a fucking dirty word and it's the fish of the future. And if we want to eat wild seafood and support our wild fisheries and wild fishermen forever, We have to start embracing it. So, and and talk about a little bit.
1: I feel like you know, like you're you're talking about. People don't realize what it really is. People, I think people think that there's, you know, I don't know, like a net somewhere, and these fish can't swim out into the ocean, (laughs) and then they just pull them in, whatever.
2: Well, that's definitely part of it, and that's a lot of the salmon industry. But it doesn't mean that it's bad for the environment unfortunately, well, there have up. there
0: have been some examples of there some, some really bad situations, but all things can
2: are not equal, right? Absolutely, point? there's some absolutely terrible examples, and there are still some terrible practices going on out there. But, but there's also been a lot of advancements in the last X amount of years. So
1: give us know. give us a good. I want a, I want a good example. So I'm going to the grocery store. I'm, I'm going to you. Give me give me two examples of the best sustainable products that are available to people. Well, if you
2: you know if you if you're coming to me and you're looking for salmon. You're going to buy our Cape d'Or tank-raised organic salmon. So, you know, it doesn't get any better of that. They talk about how you rate things and what's the most sustainable. I mean, the Cape d'Or salmon we're using now is probably one of the most sustainable salmons in the world because of how it's raised. It's saltwater well, tank-raised, recycled water, all of the good, amazing, good stuff that's happening out there. Uh, Inland, what we call RAS, Recycling Systems, uh, Inland Fish farming, it's happening more and more. And I think that it has a lot of promise to eradicate some of people's fears about escapes and and uh, cross-contamination between wild and and farmed. Good fish is out there that's farmed. And when you think- say
0: inland, you're talking about freshwater fish then? When you oh, no, 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 no big, big, big tanks. Oh, they're tanks. doing like saltwater big- in, in inland. Yeah. I, yes. I assume that was...
1: What What states? Let's educate the people because I think a lot of people don't realize what states really have the biggest farms right now.
2: Well, America. This is a very burgeoning industry, so it's really so. Sorry, Cape Cod salmon, Nova Scotia. Okay. Um, Great. Sapphire salmon actually is about to open a massive plant down in Florida. And so when that starts happening, that'll be good. That'll also be using saltwater wells. Uh, and, I mean, that's going to be huge. They're going to be producing hundreds of thousands of tons of fish within a few years. So, yeah, we're moving towards that. Um, and, you know, it's starting to change here in America. The, you know, the rest of the world has sort of been embracing aquaculture a little better. But, you know, we'll get there. Let's start So some other
1: things. We talk about, like, you know, diet, right? talk about, like... Um big thing with Fiona is like balanced diet and fish and and eating a variety of things and not so much of the of the meat what this planet and a lot of people don't realize is like if you just delete like one red meat item um, or land animal right Uh, out of your diet uh, daily one one daily you will save so much of the ozone because when these animals are slaughtered there's a certain amount of methane that goes into the air right so when you have an an animal that's five, six thousand pounds on animal, and there's hundreds and thousands of them slaughtered daily to feed this craving red meat market, you're literally polluting the air in a different manner, which you don't even realize. And like when and what when you say sustainability, the sustainability of what this what this what this um, the tanks and the systems are gonna be, it's gonna change our environment, yeah. and to move forward the next 100, 150 years as a planet, 200 years as a planet, you know... If we make it that far. That's what I'm saying, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, a whole but, lot I mean, I, mean, I mean, seriously, if you do, right? But more importantly, it's, you know, what you're going to eat. Yeah. You know, how are you going to be farmed? Where's your food coming from? Well, and, food. and
2: reducing environmental impact is massive. So, you know, we try to be as regional as possible, but we fly things in from the other side of the world because, you know even including that the environmental you know factor the environmental impact of me flying a fish in from New Zealand I'm making up the number here but I could probably fly that fish back and forward to New Zealand 15 times before (laughs) it came close to the environmental impact of land-based animal farming and especially the larger animals now nobody's saying that we shouldn't be doing that we should we just should be eating it maybe a little less doing some balance in regards to thinking about not just That it's actually probably better for you from a health perspective, but also how much impact and benefit it can have on our planet. Absolutely. But at the same time, obviously, we want to support our farmers. But maybe there's, you know, and and uh, you know,
1: we want to support our local farmers. We want to support the people that they they consciously take care of the animal, slaughter the appropriate amount. And re and reta- and retake care of their land. What's it, what? Not regurgitate. What's the word? <laughs> regenerate. <laughs> regenerate their land because that's another thing. They don't move these pastures. So these poor cows are born and they're living in a pasture that they should not be in. Yeah. Right. And
0: well,
1: then they're, they're grain- lucky if
0: they're in a pasture. And then they're
1: grain fed, just tons of shit, and it's not good. <laughs> and what's really amazing about, you know, you know, people want to move more closer to eating. You know, fish, more eggs, and stuff like that. Things that, that don't require slaughtering is that the it's just it's going to regenerate itself. Fish it doesn't take a fish, you know, a year to grow to full uh, to full no, capacity. No, it depends so, on the fish. No, gamins, yes, some, uh, but, but yep. there are other fish. Yep. that don't.
0: So we were, I was um, out in Hawaii um, last spring, and I was at a um, uh, rum distillery. And they were using fish tanks to. They have they've been sustainable, but from uh, from a water standpoint for like seven years or something because they've had these tanks with fish living in. And they they didn't seem like that. I what do I know? I mean, you might have looked at it differently. But the the water from the fish because they they um because they're eating and living in their mm-hmm. environment is what they used to um. To water the the crops with, and so yep. there's this constant regeneration of this water because they're using. Um, I, 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 I mean, they haven't taken any water from the from the supply from freshwater supply in like I don't know five six years. I might be lying, but it was it had been a long time. That was very interesting to look at agricultural different a different way. And that fish was at um, a grade in which human it's edible <clears throat> because yeah. they were selling it as well.
1: Cardi so. and Patron, do that. Do they? Yeah, both
0: the sellers. One of these go one in and. Um, Puerto go? that one was Kohana rum yeah so even small I mean it, it's it, I mean, to point to that like, even to that point greater is that even when you're a small business you can make big impact of course because they're a relatively small distillery um, <clears throat> doing what they can which Do I, you think think then, I mean amazing. and I think
2: you know like another big thing that we always try and talk about um, is that you know your bivalves are restorative they're cleaning the ocean and they farm well yeah. they farm easily so oysters mussels clams scallops If they're farmed, so that's what we do, we sell a farmed Japanese product. So even though we're flying it in, it's better than dredging the bottom of the ocean to, you know, grab your scallops up. So, but just from the fact that they're filter feeding the ocean, they're cleaning the ocean. So the more farms- They're doing their job. The more farms (laughs) that we can encourage, and there's, you know, relatively easy to farm in the ocean, uh, and that's another thing that we try to encourage people to do. Eat more bivalves. Eat oysters. keep, Keep cleaning the ocean. Yeah.
0: The only thing though, then we end up with more humans because they're an aphrodisiac and it's a vicious cycle. <laughs> <laughs> so, one thing we less up are humans. <laughs> true. It's true, isn't it, that how you have two Gina? All right, that's hey. all right. Hey. Uh, another easy. Um,
1: one thing I you know, it's amazing. You know, we, being here in Washington, DC, we have we live right next to the Chesapeake and seeing the oyster houses come back is kind of amazing, like all these different oyster farms. But here's what a fact that most people don't realize. So, what is it like? I don't know. Fifty oyster farms down in Chesapeake. Oh uh, yeah, at
2: least at least right.
1: Lot. But back in the 1960s, when the whole oyster crisis came, there was like two thousand or more. And oh now, really? And now, yeah, there was a. I mean, it, it hasn't been that. So long So what was what was the oyster crisis
0: from somebody um, who's not from this area? I know It's actually it
1: it's actually very it's it's a lot. It's very political, really. It was, um, there was like a lot of race riots and stuff in the 60s, 1960s, and uh, people that were living on the Eastern Shore on the other side of the Chesapeake and the, and the side, you know, it just, it was, it was politically charged and they abandoned these farms oh. and, uh, and they weren't picking, you know, it was going out for oysters anymore. And then they closed one by one. And you know what? Change is good. I feel like we all learned and the watermen and that's what they're called, watermen, waterwomen, uh, learn a very valuable lesson that everybody, when you do a job like that, is equal. Mm. Because that job is, that job is a hard job. Yeah. And there is no such thing
2: as, and there shouldn't be ever, but... People dream about things like, oh, I we should just I have an oyster farm and I could just be on the boat all day and they're forgetting <laughs> exactly how much hard work it <laughs> goes into. <laughs> <laughs> but they also an, but an oyster farm.
1: Yeah. But they also, Like people underestimated, you know, the ability of a for change. And yeah. I think the change was inevitable and it is, priceless how more conscious people are now about the way they speak to one another just in that environment because it's a very crude not cruel crude environment to work in because you are literally in the middle of a bay for six or seven hours pulling up tons and tons of oysters and if anyone's ever touched an oyster shell they're not exactly smooth (laughs) so your hands become stung with barnacles and stuff like that and you are just it's a very tough job yeah Gloves or no gloves, eventually you stop wearing the gloves because your hands get all irritated from the latex. Not the latex, the rubber. But Maryland did a good thing. So,
2: you know, they realized maybe 20 years ago, I'm not going to be perfect on dates or exact on this story, um, but <laughs> about 20 years ago... We never are, don't worry, you put right in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, they realized exactly how damaged the bay was because there's no oysters in there anymore. And there was a time that there was, for example, a billion oysters mm-hmm. in the bay. And they realized that there was, you know... A million oysters in the bay. Yeah. Please disregard the ex- exact yeah. amount Sorry, of Sorry, Tim don't, don't yell at us. Tim, don't fucking yell at me. I, like I don't remember exact numbers, we we'll okay. on the show. We'll be back, the, and Tim. I've time. got the story down. we drinking Jim. pims. So, you know, but essentially what ended up happening was they realized, that, you know, there was a lot of dead spots in the water. I'm not sure if you realize what that means. Like, no nitrogen, no movement. So, you know, they get these black dead spots. Um, wow. What yeah, causes the flow wasn't coming over, through. Is that just over? Well, yeah, a lot of... A lot of runoff from agricultural that's f- further upstream fertilizer. blah 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 blah, blah you know, killing oysters yeah. Yeah, fertilizer yeah, all true. that kind of stuff there's loads of stuff um that can happen uh anyway so they sort of essentially maryland ended up giving out basically for nothing all of these lease plots for oyster farms to try and promote people to come in the and university and of maryland
1: dirt. was big into that. yeah
2: so oh. yeah. so a lot of people you know maybe 15 16 years ago were like essentially given these lease plots you know here you go go out there let's clean up the bay bay. and it's been super successful there's barely any dead spots the water's so much cleaner it's refiltering really well again uh so that was a super exciting thing that maryland did recently and thankfully as a result we get to eat a shit ton of fucking good local oysters yeah absolutely if
1: you guys want to i mean here's the fun thing and we'll put it on the website you can go down to um really quickly over the bay or on the other side um there's an oyster farm called uh, Maryland Golds, and it's part of the University of Maryland um, Agriculture, and you can go and see how an oyster is raised, planted, turned, and everything, and it's a learning facility. When do
0: you turned? What's turn mean?
1: So when you have oysters, you can't just leave. So oysters naturally need debris and stuff to hit yeah. their cup, right? Yeah. Well, when you have them, you know, when you're doing them. I'm
0: assuming they're like this.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, no, actually, things are hitting them and toughening up the, 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 the shell. As the shell gets tougher, the meat inside gets smoother, and then no. the shell gets more of a deeper cup. So what they do is they take them out of the beds, they bring them up, they put them in the, on the boat, and they, they, they actually tumble them. It looks like a washing machine or a dryer, whatever you want to yeah. call it. And it goes through, and what it's doing is ripping up the cup so the cup gets
2: deeper so the oyster gets fatter. And it's Yeah, and, and also... But that's you know, what naturally like, o- would happen over oysters, time. Oysters on the bottom of the bay, they'll clump together. They won't stay single. Yeah. So part of it, part of the yeah. rumble is to also make sure they're pulling them out and not, but mainly for what Gina said to develop cup size.
0: So I have a question.
2: Yeah. How?
0: How do baby oysters happen in natural environment? <laughs> they
2: spawn.
1: Yeah, they're actually asexual oysters. Are they? Yeah. I, 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 this
2: is
0: a honest question. I mean, what do they do? And, and then like, like, you get these. Are they, sexu- are they, are they right? get these, they're asexual? Very. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah teeny tiny they're so cute so you can hold in the cup of your hand a million, like a th- yeah. Yeah, a million oysters yeah it's crazy like baby oysters like in a, in a bag it's but, fucking, so, but cute. so they okay so and then they jump out and they need they okay. need shell yeah to go that was my so question usually how it works is when they come out like there's always little dead bits of shell or this is how why when you're you're breeding them they uh They'll clasp onto the back of another oyster. And that's how they clump and grow. Oh, so that's how they grow into That's how it naturally happens. Oh. Yeah. So it'll come out, it'll fall onto the back of another shell and just start growing
0: there. Because it's picking up. So they are like the original millennials. They just move back in with mom. They never move out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I
1: and feel it, like there is a sexual oyster, though. Is the Ceylon oyster sexual? Like they have to have a male and a female?
2: So let's just say that oysters are definitely the thing I know the least about in this. Okay. World. All right. Well, yeah. yeah. The least. Absolutely. I, Absolutely. I did have a Let's time state. where
1: I worked in an oyster bar. I think I would know more.
2: Let's state this. I, for your record, have never worked in an oyster bar, and it's the thing I know the least about. No. And,
0: of course, now we're going to ask a question about... So if you think we rehearse this show, folks, that, that is... a. Um, a, an honest example that there is absolutely no rehearsal. And, and real guest.
2: I'm sorry, I didn't mean to... Um, I'm not a real guest. I'm a fake person. <laughs> but she plays I'm one actually. on TV. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually really from Maryland, and I'm just putting on my fake Australian accent. Is it working? Yeah, absolutely. See, I thought it was Texas. Do American yeah. accent.
0: Can you do one? No fucking way. <laughs> <laughs> That's about more American
1: than Gina. All right. All right. You know what? My drink is getting empty. The sun is beating. It is. I think we should go inside before my little Australian princess becomes um, tan. Yes. Uh-uh. uh uh-uh. No
0: tan. No tan. Yeah. I don't think it's possible. Oh, we didn't ask the question. No. Ask your question. Oh,
1: I have one question. It's my new favorite thing. Not new. If you listen to the episodes probably like, I don't know, five guests in, <laughs> right? What is your spirit ingredient? If you have to define yourself by one ingredient, ingredient, what would your spirit ingredient be? You
2: could have preempted this one. Now I really have to think. Can we do some thinking music? <laughs> la, 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 Do you I mean anything in the whole world? Whatever you're yeah. Ginger.
1: Oh, good yeah. one. Good one. I love that.
2: Yeah. It's my favorite thing in the fucking world. I eat it all the time. From crystallized, to raw, to cooked, to whatever. To Pimm's Cups. To Pimm's Cups. Who knew? That. All right.
0: So, a little housekeeping. Um, if you want Gina's recipe for, for today, for the Pimm's Cup, you're going to head over to where, Gina? Designateddrinker.show. What was that again? Designateddrinker.show. And then we'll make sure you also have the links to um, everything that Fiona is doing and see what she's doing here at the District Fishwife. And uh, if you want some delicious fish, you'll be able to find her. And, and you know what? I also am gonna put in there how if that other oyster actually I, gets it down. Yeah. And do they have to eat an oyster to get things going? What's their aphrodisiac? What yeah. do you think?
1: What? Well, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> We're gonna find out. All He's right. Born. All right. Know. Cheers. Cheers. cheers.